seat. So we are doing a message series just now called Kingdom People. Kingdom People. And um, in the month of September, we did a, a three-part series called Kingdom Come. And we looked at the advancing kingdom, how God's kingdom starts small, like a little mustard seed or something like that, but it grows and grows and grows until it fills your whole life, until it fills your whole community, until it fills the whole earth, the advancing kingdom. We saw the gospel of the kingdom, that the gospel isn't just Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's part of it. But when you believe in Jesus, you are born again. And the purpose of being born again is so you can enter the kingdom of God and then learn to live that lifestyle, that new lifestyle in the kingdom. So that was kingdom, uh, the advancing kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. And I can't actually remember what my third part was called. What was it called? What she's saying? Radical. Thank you. Thank you. The radical kingdom. Radical in the sense of going back to our roots. We want, we want to live in the life-transforming message that Jesus and his first apostles preached. We don't want some watered-down, westernized version of Christianity. We want a radical change in our life. So that, that was the big message of the kingdom. This month, we're looking at the kingdom community, the community of the king. And so uh, we've been looking at the church. The first week, we looked at Ecclesia, the church, the, that are called out to part of the kingdom. And last week, we looked at kingdom etiquette, how we should conduct ourselves in the house of the Lord. And this week, we're looking at kingdom enthusiasm because the church of Jesus Christ is not supposed to be stuffy, boring, moldy, and, and, and depressing. It's supposed to be alive and vibrant with the living presence of the living Christ amongst us. And so, we're going to look at enthusiasm today as part of our kingdom community. I want to start with a passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 12. This is really interesting, this passage. I want, as we read it, I want you to think in your mind of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. I've got a feeling that right before Paul wrote this, he was reading the Sermon on the Mount. You're going to see a lot of similarity between what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount and what Paul says in this passage here. I want to remind you, because we mentioned it a few weeks ago, that in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus' longest sermon is all about interactions with other people. It's all about human relationships, okay? You're going to see that here as well. Because being enthusiastic for God doesn't mean you're so caught up with God you don't care about people. It's actually the opposite. So let's have a look. He says in Romans 12, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. By the way, there's something interesting. There are things that you're supposed to hate. Do you see that? Sometimes we think that you know, we live in a, we, our culture has evolved now, so the culture is like this. Unless you validate every thought I think, that means you hate me. 
If you loved me, you would validate everything I say, you know? So if you disagree with somebody nowadays, you're a hater. No, you might love the person, but you just disagree with them on that issue. So there's this idea that anybody who thinks that something is wrong is a hater. No, some things are wrong in this world, okay? And it says here, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Look at how many times the phrase one another is used in this passage. Honor one another above yourselves. Right, read the orange letters with me. Are they, is that orange? It looks orange from here, right? Okay. I'm not colorblind or anything, but sometimes back there it looks different from up here. Okay, let's read it together. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. We're going to come back to that. Be joyful in hope. Joyful means full of joy, okay? It's really simple. Be joyful, be full of joy in hope. Patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Let's read on. Rejoice. So, if joyful means full of joy, rejoice means have joy again. Revisit your joy. Be joyful, and then when that fades, get back to it and be joyful again. Rejoice, okay? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, now, I've put in here, as far as it depends on you, because it doesn't always depend on you. Sometimes you want to fix things, but somebody else is just an idiot, okay? You can't do much about it. So, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone and do not take revenge. Do you see how all of this is about human interactions and human relationships? Can we go back to the previous slide a minute here? But yet, in the middle of all the white talk, the, the white letters about human interaction, there is this orange sentence, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Never be lacking in zeal, spiritual fervor, zeal, fervor. We are talking about enthusiasm, right? And what we're going to see is spiritual enthusiasm doesn't mean I'm so caught up with being enthusiastic for God that I am no longer interested in people. Actually, it has the opposite effect. The more
What do I mean by enthusiasm? Let's get a dictionary definition up here. Okay, a definition of enthusiasm. If you get your dictionary out, you will see two things. You will find out the first, the first definition that will give you is how the word enthusiasm is popularly used. And then the second definition that will give you is what the word enthusiasm originally meant. Okay? So, enthusiasm, we usually mean it great excitement for or interest in a subject or a cause. I am really enthusiastic about the Edmonton Oilers, right? Enthusiasm. I've got a great deal of excitement about this team and about the, the, the sport itself and about all, everything that goes on there, right? That's how we use the word normally. Here's where the word originally comes from. Its real definition is ecstasy arising from the indwelling of God. In fact, if you read old books, I'm sure you don't read old books, but for some reason or other, I feel the need to read the books, books that were written in the 17 and 1800s. I don't know why, but I read them anyway, and here's what I found, that preachers, say people like John Wesley or great revivalists from the past, people used to criticize them. And do you want to know what one of the, one of the biggest criticisms they had? Do you know what they called them? enthusiasts. Oh, they're just enthusiasts. We don't want that type in our church. As if being an enthusiast was a bad thing. But what they meant by it was, these people are so caught up in God that they, they are experiencing ecstasy arising from the indwelling of God, and they're just taking it too far, you know. Um, it's from the Greek word entheos, N, which means in, theos means God, you know, theology, the study of God. It means God within. The idea being that when, some, when you discover who God has made you to be, what God has gifted you with, how, how you've been wired, when you are living from, from God's creative purpose for your life, you enjoy what you do. You're good at what you do. There is energy in what you are enthusiastic about it. Why? Not because of human effort, because it comes from deep within, because God has planted something deep within. So, when I am talking about the kingdom community having enthusiasm, I am not talking about hype. I mean, we could do hype, couldn't we? You know, the the. the Worship team could have got up here, and Erica could have hyped you all up. Come on, how many people are awake today? Come on, hurry, and all of this kind of stuff, and tried to wake you up. We could make the coffee a little bit stronger before the service, and maybe hype you up a little bit, or something like that. But that's just, that's of the human flesh. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about hype. I'm talking about a deep excitement that has been planted within your heart and soul, Okay? And so, if we're not talking about hype when we're talking about that. The other thing we're not talking about is we're not talking about spiritual intensity. Enthusiasm means an excitement arising out of the fact that we are filled with the Spirit of God. It is a Spirit-inspired enthusiasm. God dwells within us. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. God's presence dwells within us, 
And when we are aware of that, it enthuses us. It motivates us. It gives us a spiritual fervor and a zeal or excitement or enthusiasm for the things of God. But that's not the same as spiritual intensity. Sometimes people think that, um, oh, right, if, if I really want to be spiritual, I'm going to have to be spiritually intense. I'm going to have to switch off everything that is not like spiritual. I'm going to have to... Uh, I can't just have a prayer time and spend some time in God's presence. I'm going to have to struggle in prayer and pray all night about this thing. If I really want to be spiritual, I'm going to have to like read the Bible through in a year, every year. You know, that's like about seven chapters a day, by the way. And I can't miss a day because if I miss a day, that's spiritual intensity. That, that comes from a belief that it's all dependent on you that you have to perform in a certain way in order to grow spiritually. That is not what we're talking about. We are talking about you realizing that it is a waste of time, that it is only hype and human flesh if you try to stir yourself, and it won't last, that instead what you need to do is open your heart to God and allow God to do a deep and full and lasting work in you that as God changes you from the inside, you begin to change, your life begins to change on the outside. When I was a very young Christian, um, I'd maybe only been a Christian about six months or a year, something like that. I was about 18 years old. And uh, I heard a pastor say something once that really helped me. It stuck with me. Um, and this was what he said. He was talking about how Jesus, although Jesus was God, he became a human. And he didn't just kind of like pretend to be a human. He was a real human. He got hungry. He got tired. Um, like sometimes he got irritable with people in the temple and drove them out. Um, he laughed with people. He socialized with people. He, he, he interacted. He had human relationships. He was brought up in a family, right? He was a real human being. And in fact, Jesus was like as human as you can get, right? And this, then he said this statement. He said, therefore, after talking about how human Jesus was, he said, therefore, for when a Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit should not make you more wacky or zany, but should make you more human, should make you more truly human the way God intended humans to be. Being filled with the Spirit doesn't mean that, that you can no longer communicate with lowly mortals, and you have to lock yourself away in a monastery and only communicate with God face to face, that's, that's not it. Um, being spiritually enthusiastic means that when you're at work, that enthusiasm's there. When you're doing a hobby, that enthusiasm's there. When you're having coffee with someone in Starbucks, the presence of God is there. You are able to be truly and fully human because the presence of God is healing and mending our brokenness, which is what stops us being truly and fully human. Okay, so we're not talking about hype. 
We're not talking about zaniness. We're not talking about spiritual intensity. We're talking about God doing a work in our lives that is so good, that, that is, you're so grateful, you're so thankful, you're bubbling over with enthusiasm as a result. And so, I want you to remember that Jesus said that the two most important commandments were this. Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, that's your spirit, with all your soul, that's your mind, and with all your strength, that's your body. In other words, spirit, mind, and body, heart, soul, and strength, we are supposed to put everything into our relationship with God. We're supposed to love God fully. Even with our bodies, we are supposed to be embodied believers, okay? And so, we love God. You love God with your mind. That might mean changing some of the junk that you put in your mind, which is not very good, and changing it for something else. So we love God fully, spirit, mind, and body. And then he said, love your neighbor. Now, that doesn't just mean your next door neighbor. Remember, somebody said, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, the Samaritans who live in the next country. That would be like saying, the Americans across the border. They're your neighbor. Oh, that's quite a distance. That's not my neighbor. In other words, what Jesus is saying is any other human being is your neighbor. So, love your neighbor. You, we could say love others. Love God with your heart, your soul, and your strength, and love other people as you love yourself. There is a healthy self-love. There's also an unhealthy, egotistical pride. I'm not talking about that. But there is a, you know, if you want to love God and love people, it is also going to require some self-care. Because if you don't love your own life, if you're so spiritually intense that you're spending yourself on the things of God rather than being fueled to do them, and if you are so codependent that you must have people who need you all the time, uh, you're going to burn out. You also need to love yourself. You need to have some self-care. You've been given a life your life is a gift from God. You need to take care of that life and be enthusiastic about that life. Then you need to be a blessing to other people and be enthusiastic about your relationships with them. And then, of course, there is a relationship with God from which everything else uh, springs, and we love Him, spirit, mind, and body. Enthusiasm. So, though, love God, love people, and love yourself. Be enthusiastic about your relationship with God. Let that enthusiasm overflow in your relationships with others, and make sure that you're also enthusiastic about the gifts that God has given you, including the gift of life that He has given you. So, let's just have a look at those things. Number one, the first thing we should be enthusiastic, or the first thing that enthusiasm should produce is a passion for God. Say that with me, a passion for God. So, a passion that comes from your heart. Titus says this, 2.14, it says, He gave Himself, Christ, He gave Himself for us to rescue us 
So he's, going to, he's bringing us out of something to rescue us from all wickedness and to make us a pure people. He's not just taking us out of something. He's making us into something to make us a pure people who belong to him alone and are eager and zealous to do good. There is an eagerness within them. There is a zeal that bubbles up within them to do the things that God wants them to do. So the first thing we need to have, obviously, is a passion for God. A passion for God. And if we have a passion for God, that, that doesn't mean that we we're not interested in other things and we always want to be alone with God, that means that wherever we are, God is with us. We bring our faith into everything, right? You, you are on vacation someplace, and um, maybe you go to some place where laws are different than they are here, Maybe you're allowed to do certain things in that country that you're not allowed to do here. Are you going to go and do them? Are you going to just behave that way because it's legally allowed? And then you think, well, hold on a minute. The laws may have changed where I am, but God hasn't changed. He's, and He is with me, and He is within me. Therefore, I, no ma my life is not governed by the outside rules of what I'm allowed to do or not allowed to do, but it's governed by a love for God and a passion for God and a desire to please God. Has anybody ever felt passionate about anything or anyone? Give me a little wave. Have you ever had that feeling of passion? Anybody ever had that? Right. Let's say it's a person. Let, let go back. Maybe some of you might need to go back many centuries in your mind to when you were single. I don't know, right? But I want you to imagine when you, were, you saw someone, you were attracted to someone in your heart, you fell in love with them. Maybe they didn't even know you existed. And now there's a passion for them. What do you do? Do you irritate them all the time? Do you aggravate them? Do you ignore them? Do you not talk to them? No, you try to get their attention. You want to be in their company. You want to be in their presence all the time. That is what a, a passionate relationship with God is like. We're not trying to get away from, if only I could get rid of God for half an hour and then I could go and be naughty for a while. And it, no, He is with you. Um, I'm going to separate my church life from my business life. No, God is with you wherever you are. And whatever you're doing, you want to please the one that your heart is in love with. And so, um, there might be a period of time that I remember when I was a young Christian, when I first became a before I became a Christian, I was on the lookout for females, like I was at nightclubs and things like that. Then I became a Christian, and for the first couple of years, sometimes people would come and say, I think such and such a girl in the church likes you. I was totally oblivious to it. There was a period of time that I was just so in love with Jesus and so grateful and thankful that He had saved me and delivered me and changed me. I was oblivious to what anybody else was doing. I was caught up in the things of God. And then I realized that a passion for God meant 
I should also be connected to my brothers and sisters, you know. I should now become aware of what is going on. So, there, there may be a period that you're caught up in God and you don't look at other things, but being caught up with God should fuel your tank so that you don't just love the Lord, but you also love your neighbor and yourself. First thing, a passion for God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. The second thing that we should have is a love for life. Say that with me. A love for life. I have met so many Christians that don't have a love for life. Um, in fact, they think you're not supposed to enjoy life or something like that. They need to read this passage in Ecclesiastes. It's a good passage. Look, young people, it's wonderful to be young. Now, I know you don't believe that when you are young. I remember when I was a teenager, I was about 14 years old. Boy, I was one of those gloomy teenagers. Like, there is not a photograph of me in my teenage years smiling. There are family photos with all the families smiling and with me scowling. I mean, like, I was a punk rocker, but if emo had been around then, I'd have been an emo, right? And, like, everything was dark and gloomy and lugubrious. That was what, right? So, I was always uh, a bit like that. And I remember one time my mother said to me, oh, for goodness sake, give, your, give yourself a shake. These are the happiest years of your life. And I said, what, you mean it gets worse? <laughs> I was hoping these were the worst years of my life, you know? <laughs> so I know you might not always believe it, but listen, it is wonderful to be young. And it's wonderful to stay young at heart as well. Even if your, old, your arthritis is hurting your old hips, be young at heart, okay? It's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. God wants you to love life. Love the Lord. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love God. Love people. Love life. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. What do you want? Oh, I would love to go to New Zealand. Go and visit the hobbits or whatever it is you're wanting to do there. God has put us on this beautiful planet, and He's saying, enjoy it. Take it all in. Love your life. Be enthusiastic about the God-given gift of life, okay? But remember, when you're deciding what you're going to do and what you're not going to do, remember, you must give an account to God for everything that you do. Yet, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. This is what he's saying. He's saying, everyone has a spiritual awareness. God has planted eternity in the hearts of everyone. People who don't know God know that there is something missing from their life, and they're looking for it over here, and they're looking for it over there. We look for it in all the wrong places. I'm sure many of us have been through that. 
we realized there was something missing in our lives. Maybe you looked for it in drugs and sex and rock and roll. Maybe you looked for it in other religions or philosophies. Maybe you looked in it by just filling your time up so that you don't, with work or projects, so you don't have any time to sit and think about your life. But we all have this emptiness in our life that only God can fill. We have an eternal spirit within us. God has planted eternity in our hearts. So when we become Christians, when we be, are aware of that, and we become Christians, we now want to live for God, and we want to serve God, and we want to be in God's will for our lives. And there are ways for us to find God's will, but we will never know everything. Only God is omniscient. None of us know everything. And if you're trying to work out what God's plan for your life is, and you need to know everything from the beginning of that plan to the end of it, you'll never know it. Look, it says He's, he's planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, even when we're spiritually awakened, we cannot see the whole scope of God's plan. So what are we supposed to do? Just sit in a chair and wait and do nothing with our life until we know what God's plan is? No, we're supposed to live in the now. We're supposed to live in the present moment. We're supposed to get on with doing and enjoying the thing that is right in front of us at this moment. Look, so eternity in the human heart, we're not able to see everything of God's plan. So what's the conclusion? that there's nothing better to do than to be happy and enjoy yourself. Elbow the person next to you and tell them, be happy and enjoy yourself. There's nothing better to do than be happy and enjoy yourself while you are on the path, because you're not going to know everything, right? Be happy and enjoy yourselves as long as we can and people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. If you are truly filled with the Holy Spirit, yes, you will love God. Yes, you'll have a passion for God. Yes, you'll have an enthusiasm for God. At times, you'll even know that spiritual ecstasy of knowing the presence of God in your life. But you won't withdraw from life you will be involved with life. You will love life. You will, you, you, will, you will suck the marrow out of life. You will enjoy every moment of it, bearing in mind that you will give an account to God one day, but you will enjoy the gift of life while you are also on the journey of faith. The next one is, if we are enthusiastic, we will be involved in encouraging others. Say that with me. Encouraging others. First Thessalonians 5. So encourage each other and build each other up. That Greek word build up, it, it was used it, um, like to build a building, putting one brick on top of the other. But there's another, way that it, there's another way it can be translated. Not only build up brick by brick, but it can also be used, something that they didn't have then, but Greek scholars say today you could use that word. You know if you've got rechargeable batteries and they go flat, and you put them in the little rechargeable thing and plug it in? In Greek, we would say we are charging the battery, but in Greek they would say they're building it up. 
You know, sometimes there are people in your life, your family, your friends, your acquaintances, your brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, colleagues at work, and they are depleted in life. They are totally depleted. They're burned out. And our job is not to draw even more energy out of them, but maybe put some energy into them charge up their batteries, build them up. And how do we charge people's batteries? Encouragement. Encouragement. Remember, N means, remember, enthusiastic, N, theos. Theos is God. N is in. Encouragement is to put courage in them. If someone doesn't have any courage, put courage in them. N encourage them. Look, so encourage each other and build each other or charge each other up just as you are already doing. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. Now, let me, just, let me just say something, not about myself, but about the staff team that we have in Gateway. I want to tell you, if you're looking for someone to encourage and bless, bless them. We have a fantastic staff team who are overworked and underpaid. I would love to triple all of their salaries, but then you would need to give a whole lot more money to do that, wouldn't you? So, if you're not going to do that, at least offer them some encouragement, will you? And pray for them and bless them. And then it says here, and live peace, peacefully with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Here's a timid person. Put courage in them. Encourage them. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Always be full of joy. And yeah, but what when bad things happen? Pray about them. Don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. And always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. Not for all circumstances, but in all circumstances. I mean, like, if someone, if someone like broke into your house and stole a whole bunch of your stuff, then you're not saying, thank you, Lord, that my stuff got stolen. But you're saying, thank you, Lord, that even though my stuff got stolen, I've got something better. I've got your presence. I am thankful in all circumstances, right? For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Now, where does this encouragement and all of that come from, this power to encourage others? It comes from the Holy Spirit. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. So if you want to encourage others, if you want to be a blessing to others, if you want to always be joyful and be giving joy to others, make sure you are not stifling the Holy Spirit. Love God. Have a passion for God. Love your neighbor. Encourage others. Love yourself. Love life, the gift of life. But when we gather together as the kingdom community, when we gather together as the church, we are here with all the others, and we are connecting to God together. So when you put those three things together, love God, 
with your whole being, love other people, and love your, the, the gift of life that God has given you, we gather together to connect with each other and with God in, in energized worship and prayer. Say that with me. Energized worship and prayer. I've, I've got to read, I've just got to read something to you. I actually meant to read this to you last week when we were talking about church etiquette, but I totally forgot. So I'm going to read it because it actually fits in with this as well. Um, this is how a church should not be, right? We are supposed to be enthusiastic. We're supposed to be encouraging. We're supposed to love our lives. We're supposed to be a blessing to others. But when I was preparing last week's message on kingdom etiquette, I just did a little Google search, church etiquette, and a church's website popped up. I can't remember what denomination they were or where they were, someplace in the States. or I can't remember the details. I only read this one page. And this was what they called church etiquette. You listening? Honoring the sanctuary. Only the minister is allowed to speak at the center pulpit. Other people must speak at the side pulpit. Children should be taught at a young age that this is a sacred spot and should never be used for play. Communion table. Personal items should never be placed on the communion table because a lightning bolt will come down and kill you if you do that. <laughs> Always maintain silence during the service. How about this one? Treatment of the pews. We should treat the pews respectfully. Late coming. Do not arrive late to church, exclamation mark. Honestly, you lot would not survive a week at this church. I'm going to tell you that right now. <laughs> Swearing in the sanctuary or any other part of the church is forbidden. I guess I could not be the pastor in that church either then. Only enter and exit as directed. Talk about a joyless place. That's not... We're supposed to come together and be energized in our worship. Look, they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great sobriety and silence. No, with great joy and generosity, not whispering up their sleeve, but praising God. They, were, they enjoyed praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. You know, isn't it amazing? You know, isn't it amazing that they actually got people to be saved without standing with gloomy faces and a sign that says, turn or burn. They never had that. Do you know what they had instead of gloomy faces and turn or burn? They had, oh, um, higher, higher, do, 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 do. That's what they had. 
And people are like, what's all that joyful noise going on over there? And they go over to find out, and they get caught up in it. I remember when I wasn't a Christian, I was taken to a house church. I sat with my gloomy look. I actually lit a cigarette up in the, in the head. I didn't know you weren't supposed to do that. And I'm sitting in there, and gloomy, and they all came in with guitars, and I thought, oh my goodness, they're all religious nuts. And they started singing, and halfway th- I was not even saved. Halfway through it, do any of you remember the song? The Lord has given a land of good things. I will press in and make them mine. I don't know if you remember it, but that was a big song at the time, right? That was the song. Halfway through the worship time, I suddenly realized I was on my feet with a big smile on my face, clapping and dancing with the rest of them. And I remember thinking, oh, for, pull yourself together, Martin. This is religious mania. Sit back down, light up another cigarette, you know. Their joy was infectious. And you know what happened? I got saved. Look, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and all the politicians said. And so they all said, we better give up going to church. Was that what they said? And when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. Oh, Lord, hear their threats and give your servants great boldness. Those people think we're fanatics. Make us even more fanatical, Lord. You know, give us great boldness, it says, in preaching your word. Stretch out your, he- your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, they exited the sanctuary in silence. That was not what happened. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. Listen, I think we should be so enthusiastic when we pray and praise that this building should shake, and we should really need structural engineers to come in and shake. It's still all right. Look, the place shook, and they were all filled with fleshly hype. No, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached the Word of God with boldness. I don't know about you, but I want to be a truly Spirit-filled believer. I want to have a love for God and an encouragement for other people and a love for life that is not born out of of some kind of legalism or some kind of human effort, but it all flows naturally because God is doing a work in my heart. He's drawing me closer and closer to Him. And as He does that, I become more and more grateful, more and more thankful, more and more enthusiastic. And I begin to praise Him and worship Him and bless other people and enjoy every minute of my life. I believe that that's God's will for me. I believe that's God's will for you. And that is what living in the kingdom under the King of Kings is all about. And all God's people said, come on, let's stand together. We are going to say the Lord's Prayer one more time. Are we all ready? Okay, one, two, three. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive others. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Let's give God a praise, church. Come on. Let's sing every trumpet. 